Yeah, I mean, it's again, it's a culmination of like the calamity of errors. Had it been like a normal, a no, a normal U.S. Nationals, or even if we got two qualifying passes, there would have been no big deal. Um, and granted, yes, I 100% appreciate what you're saying, but when you try to explain that to someone and they still kind of say the things that they say and and uh, you don't have much appreciation for his thoughts at that point. It's time for Class Racing Today, the podcast for the NHRA Class Racing fan. Welcome back to Class Racing Today. This is ClassRacingToday.com. The website, ClassRacingToday.com. Email, uh, ClassRacingToday, gmail.com. Um, remember, coming up April 28th through May 1 in St. Louis, uh, the second annual Class Racers Revival uh, put on by uh, Tyler Bohannon and his group at RaceDerbyCity.com. Um, Brian, you were there uh, last year. And won't be there this year. What's uh, how's that feeling? <laughs> Again, continuing as we get closer. <laughs> it's kind of a terrible feeling. Yeah, I uh, I did call. I did make a few phone calls to see if I was going to have any uh, motor options by then. And yeah, it's not looking good. I'm still waiting on rods and pistons. So <laughs> I guess it's going to force me to stay home and an adult. As hard as that is, I like, can watch it. It'll be televised again, correct? Yeah, yeah. That thing. Uh, I don't know, it was just so much fun. Like, even, like, Vegas this weekend, I was watching, like, really kind of gave me the itch, like, wish my car was running, because it wouldn't be that hard to get it down there, and I don't know, I just like, I like supporting those things, they're, they're a lot of fun, and the camaraderie, it's just a little different atmosphere, and a little different feel, and. Yeah. Well, we, uh, <clears throat> we always appreciate the support that Tyler gives, and the, the stuff, I think Class Racing today is going to be a, a listed sponsor for that, this year's event. Um. Also, Drag Insights, uh, the premium side uh, has become active and live. App.draginsights.com. Uh, register there. Uh, and I think uh, Bobby told me he's actually uh, engaged today with some other opportunities. We had to move the show one day this week, uh, so he was unavailable. But um, I think the contingency side of uh, that premium uh, is available. So get a hold of them. App.draginsights.com. Um <clears throat> I'm kind of excited today. So I've never formally met today's guest, but he's always in the, uh, I wouldn't even say he's in the shadows. He's always in the forefront of what we're talking <laughs> about every day. So, you know, we're missing Bobby. So I say we just bring him in right now and he can do it. We got Cody Lane with us today. How's Morning. It, how's it going? It's going awesome. Uh, thank you for having me on. It's been an honor. We uh we were talking about our drag insights. Have you been on there? Have you checked that out yet? I have, I have. I was actually um Terry Emmons kind of pushed me to it when he was showing me that uh I think he was showing like, oh wow, you seem to win better in H than you do in G Sock Automatic. And then they were talking about their strategy at the end of the year for whether they're gonna be an A or B and just kind of was playing around with it. And I was like, Where did you find this information? And then he pointed me to it and it uh ever since then I've been doing kind of the same thing for um whether what class we're in in stock or comp and I don't know if it 100% changes, but it's just interesting to see and have those data points to say, wow, maybe I, maybe this is the class for me. The uh, the funny thing is, I was just looking at you here, in H, um, you prefer the left lane. You're 75% in the left lane, 25% in the right. Yeah, it, it's interesting because, uh, uh, you know, uh, we, we bought the car so I could 
practice getting chased a little bit more because I mean our, our modified super soccer that I've raced for the majority of my early racing career I'm always chasing right nine, nine out of ten times I'm chasing and we bought it so I could uh, learn to chase a little bit or get chased excuse me especially if I was going to be in comp and uh, I don't know it's something about I feel like I can just see them but I, we were having this conversation I lose them for a second in the sale and it seems like that's where I've been struggling as of late where it's like that last second split if they if they fall there I have to kind of just guess and Lately, I've been guessing just a little bit wrong. <laughs> well, I'd say the numbers are a little skewed too, because you're 12 in the left. You're you've been in the, according to these stats, you've been in the left lane 12 times in the right four. So you just got to go to the right more often in the stats or catch because right. you're solid. It sounds here. like it sounds like it. I think you're just uh, you're just trying to give people a false sense of hope, like oh, I'm going to put them in the right lane, and then you're just going to smoke them. It's like not. I, I I think that's the hope. Sometimes, like at Arizona, I know I won in the left lane before. I won the Arizona Nationals a few years ago, so I was like, you know what? Maybe there's some good juju there. Uh, and there wasn't. <laughs> Why don't you tell us about your stalker? Yes. So uh, our stalker has been through a lot of trial and tribulation. We bought it in, man, I want to say 2018, around Thanksgiving time from Jeff Cunningham out of Kansas. Um, he had a lot of good things to say about it. And kind of like what I alluded to a little bit earlier, I was just looking to get chased and practice that and kind of uh, do two classes and uh, so we bought it, we kind of rewired it, um, put a power grid in it, and it's a 70, I should probably back up, it's a 73 um, natural H car, and it's got a small block 350, factored or, or a advertised horsepower 190, 190 horse, um, originally came with a metric 200, since we put a turbo 350 in it, and uh, we, re excuse me, back in 2018, we rewired the car, we're going to debut it in Maybe I have my timelines wrong. I think I bought it in 2017. We were we were going to debut it in 2018, and then uh, we had a battery uh, short on the way down to Pomona in the trailer. We were eight miles from the track and caught everything on fire, and so we had to basically it totaled the car. We had a ton of people reach out. It was awesome trying to help out to kind of get it back on there, and it put a little dent in it. But uh, we basically had to rebuild the entire car. I think we debuted it at the end of 2018, um, got it back out there, did a couple races with it, and then in 2019 kind of hit it hard. And within uh, two races, we won a national event, went to the semis at the Winter Nationals, and then uh, won the Arizona Nationals with it. So it's been a pretty good car so far. It's pretty cool to see. Uh, it's like the Phoenix rising from the ashes, literally, right? Like, Yeah, seriously. It was, uh, it was I mean, honestly, it was so we have a guy that helps us out that uh, he's retired and used to love driving with my grandpa who has since passed, but uh, they were eight miles from the track. And like my dad and I, I was actually just going up skiing with my um, then girlfriend, now fiance. And I was just about to pass my, my parents' house because it's kind of on the way from Seattle to the mountains. And uh, I get this call and it's just like your heart just sinks. I mean, it was incredibly disheartening. Um, like Not even so that you could, cry but just all the work that you'd put in like the excitement i mean i'd had been i'd been so nervous about shifting one two in a wheel stand two three because i'd never shifted a car really and uh and just to have that happen it was like uh, a big step back but I, I will say one thing about like the guys and the gals that are that make up like hancock and lane racing it's they they rallied around it and we pushed through adversity and here it is today so why so, in the world would you get rid of a metric 200 and go to a turbo 350 um, part of it was a few things, uh, pro trans built us a nice trans that we were 
we were just trying to, well, there's two things. One, we wanted to have the shift patterns the same. I have, I have say I will made, I made some errors in my early career where I've thrown it into second in uh, the modified car when I first started driving and um, burned up a couple trans. So just trying to eliminate errors there. I, I did the same thing once um, at Pomona with uh, when I was in stock, just, I mean, it's, it's simple stuff that you just kind of, you don't mentally think about. So we try to make the, the reverse shift patterns the same. Um, and then we had aluminum, an aluminum converter that we could bolt up to it that just kind of fit nicely. So just, that was kind of the move. And to be honest, the metric 200 was pretty bulletproof. And so we kind of maybe regretted that move a little bit, but I don't want to go as far as to say that. Well, it's nice to have consistency. I mean, if you're getting all three cars and they're similar, I guess I can totally understand that side of it. Yeah. And, and that, that was kind of, the move. it was, it was kind of to make things the same, um, because it felt like the Copo had a different, a different trans, um, the, the Corvette had a different trans and I, I, at the time we had the Cobalt too. So trying to make them all the same in the sense of like how you're shifting through. Well, it just kind of becomes muscle memory at some point. Like it's easy. Like I drive one car, so you don't think about it, but hopping from one to the other, the same, you know, basically muscle memory training is all going to equate across. Yeah, absolutely. And it's stuff that, uh, I mean, you don't think about those sometimes like you get into a car and I, I mean, like honestly, like you hop in at Pomona or like if you're going to debut down in, in St. Louis, you're like, man, it's been a while, but you get in there, you visualize what you're supposed to do and it kind of comes back to you pretty quick. But it, the, the idea is to kind of just eliminate errors because I have made a few. Yeah. So how, uh, I mean, obviously how did the Hancock and Lane, how did that all start or what was, what was it like coming up through that? Oh man. Well, if I could walk around the garage, I could, I could show you some photos, but, uh, so I'll try to do the best story I can. Um, so let's say my dad's he's 60 this year. So if he watches this, he'll get a nice shout out that he's getting old. But, uh, when he was 13 years old, uh, he met Jerry Hancock through a friend of ours and, or a friend of his, um, his name's Ed Mola, who still hangs around with us today. Um, fantastic man. And, uh, so Jerry, uh, was a little bit older. I want to say he was like in his late 20s. And basically, my dad obviously loved race or learned to love cars and was basically told either pick up a wrench and help out or get the hell out of here. And that's kind of how it started back then. So that was, I think, 1974. And he picked up a wrench. And uh, basically, ever since then, it kind of snowballed into his passion for racing. And then when he, in 1986, they finally bought a, or I want to say in 85, they bought a car together uh 68 camaro that his first race out he went and when he started racing himself he went to the finals here at seattle at the divisional that was like the last race of the year and then the next year he did a full season finished sixth in the world and the rest is history that's uh that's big shoes to step into it was a transition did you do juniors or how did you come up into that or no so i mean Right at the time, juniors, like I would have been approaching like racing juniors. It had just split split from like being at divisionals to I think having its own like series. And in fairness, uh, my dad's like, you know, he was, I mean, he'd done really well. We'd he'd built a, built cars, um, successful early racing career, and just said, you know, I can't do both. And I don't know if I had professed like enough like desire to go do it. It was just, I think, so new to me. And I was doing other sports and um, so yeah, I never did juniors. Uh, I'd been around it my entire life. I was actually thinking about this, like, you know, late night thoughts of stuff we were going to talk about. And I was thinking, well, the Emmons boys, I think all the rumors were that they started racing around 15 years old, but 
I'll say I, I didn't start racing quite then. I was, I was, I was driving like Tom Turner's Corvette when we had that, um, in our umbrella, I used to drive it to the lanes like at 14 and 15 years old. So I was well versed what it was like to be in the car until I actually had to go down the track at 16. Yeah. Good luck getting you a junior after that point. Right. Yeah, pretty much, pretty <laughs> much. But I will say in fairness, uh, I'll take the modified Achieva to start the career over a junior. So it was, it wasn't a, it wasn't a bad move. So you're, did you, so when was your first pass on the track? Then you remember how old you were? Oh, I was coming up on 17, to be honest. I was, it was probably May, June. So my birthday is in August and uh, it was May, June. I had, we, we had a George Phillips, Superstock H automatic uh, 67 Camaro. They let us, they let me drive. Um, we built an engine for them way back in the day and they were nice enough to let me like start my career out in that. And I actually, I was, I was thinking about this too. I don't even really think I made like too many, uh, uh, what do they call them? Your passes to get license, your licensing passes. They, I basically felt like if I remember correctly, I couldn't enter super stock because I didn't have any grade points and I know it was a divisional, but I didn't have any, like I didn't have a license. So it was, I think I did a burnout in a, in a launch. And I think I did a full pass as my second pass. And I know usually there's a little bit more progression to it, but I don't know if it's just because I've been around it. I got a little bit of a pass, but um, my, my first race was shortly before I turned 17. And then uh, we ended up going to Acton and right before I turned 17 and uh, set the, my first national record in Super Sock H automatic, got torn down and, um, and shortly got broke after that. But it was nice to at least gone through that process and learn a lot about how you get torn down and, and what they're measuring. And then, uh, over that time, like the next year we ended up buying Mark Stewart. It was a comp car at the time. It was in 1998 Oldsmobile Achieva and took some of our old comp motors, uh, old wedge comp motors and put it into that car and made it an SSBS super stock B super modified, uh, uh, Achieva. So you pretty much started in super stock and comp then more or less. Yes. Uh, so I, I will say maybe this was a life lesson for me in that if my sons go through the the, the same process, because like I, as I mentioned earlier, I got uh, two under two at the moment. And if they if they ever start racing and have that desire, I think I'm going to put them in the stock eliminator to teach them how hard it is to work on things versus if you go to a modified car where you got removable tunnels and everything's open, you can make it how you want. Um, you learn to appreciate things a little bit more once you, when you probably go from one to the other versus how I went backwards and figured out, man, it's really, it's really hard to get stuff out of this Corvette and changing your transmission is not too fun. Whereas the Cavalier or the, the, the old little bit of time you could do it 20, 25 minutes if you had to. Or you could think about the other way. If I've got two cars, I got to make it as easy and fast as possible. Right? Like just... Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's uh definitely a way to jumpstart the career and definitely, uh, you uh jumped right into the fire right away i guess you're running with some pretty serious contenders right off the bat yes i mean uh i i i think there was you know, there was the dollar learning curve too i would say I, like I, I was talking about having things be the same i i heard a trans thrown in a second luckily i mean you hear about people crashing and um i remember getting out almost in tears like oh my god i thought i hurt the motor like on my second pass we were just testing and i threw it in a second gear and it ended up fortunately just being a transmission uh but i burned up a couple transmissions after that too i didn't know this but i was actually setting my foot on the brake pedal i doing the burnout like i'd pump it up and then i'd accidentally set it on there and we, we couldn't figure out why like all of a sudden it wouldn't do really a burnout until like right before it pulled out then it would smoke 
Um, come to find out I was resting my foot on it. So I would say going from a car, like only doing a couple of races where I was going like 10 teens to then going eight eighties and not having a ton of experience. Yeah. You, you make some errors, but at the same time you learn from it and, um, you learn to make your cars at least kind of, again, the same. We had a, a cobalt that my dad raised in comp that had a little third foot pedal in case you ever put like a clutch in it that we use to set our foot. So we made the Achieva have that. Eventually we made that Cavalier have that. So, um, you learn from, from these mistakes and hopefully you make your yourself and others better by, by not making those same ones. Oh, that's, uh, that's pretty cool. I just, uh, I think 10 teens and 10 O's is fast. I can't imagine I'm just going right to, you know, sub nine. That's pretty wild. Oh, it was, uh, definitely. I mean, going from my, my little street car to, to that, at that point, it was, uh, like I'll, it'll put you back in your seat. And it was, it was a good ride. I'll say, I, I loved it. Um, the Achieva eventually, we eventually, uh, fortunately it crashed at 2018 at the world finals or excuse me, 20, 2010 in the world finals. Um, right after Peter Biondo crashed in comp, I was a couple classes later and, uh, just, I think Pomona has some teeth and I wasn't exactly in the groove and just one of those things. You had a pretty good year this year at Pomona. You guys did. Yes. We had an awesome start to the year. I will say I have to first give shout out to Jerry Emmons. He's been kind of instilling some, um, just like a mentality change to kind of start the year and, uh, did some exercises and really focus on practicing this year. And I went in there with, uh, I think I, I kind of tried to do the same thing with my dad. Just went in there with some confidence that, you know, if you're going to win a world championship, you got to start here. And whether that happens or not, I mean, it's still a great start to the year. But uh, um, we, I feel like I finally started driving good in the Corvette. We kind of, I think the challenge that I've been fighting there is um, going from a couple different modified cars, comp and super stock to then in a slower Corvette, um, especially now with the Cavalier being in a comp, a comp car. Um, I sp- my lights weren't the same and everything that uh, I've heard from others, whether it's talking to Kyle Rizzoli, Jimmy DeFrank, um, Jerry Emmons, they say you got to have the same spot on both cars. Cause I mean, it's two hits of the tree and mine were like two completely separate lights. And so I was just trying to close that gap. And I went in there to Pomona excited and um, I even got a, a trip zip out of it, but uh, I learned really quick that those blown Copos fly up on you and ended up going out second round and taking a, taking a big stripe. But um but yeah my, I, I will say i was super proud of my dad he drove phenomenal all weekend long in pomona and to be honest he deserved probably a, a trophy more so than i did but uh the uh the track bit us we were right after the pros and he he spun the tire i mean no excuses leo did a fantastic job and has continued to do so even at arizona and at the divisionals um but uh, he was a machine all weekend so it would have been awesome to have a double but taking a runner up and a win on my end was a pretty fantastic way almost a storybook way to start the year yeah, that's uh, not a not too bad of a way to get started. That's for sure. Talk about your dad's car. Uh, Bobby is busy today, but I had to. He gave a few questions. He wants to know what happened to your dad's car in the twenty twenty U.S. Nationals against Tony. Twenty twenty. Oh, when he had the the V stock automatic first round, I think is what he's probably alluding to, or something we like that. Tony Fignelli in the at the twenty twenty U.S. Nationals. I'm going to preface, we are good people and we try to do right by everything we do. And we don't know a lot of the people that like we get introduced to at the U.S. Nationals. That was my first time being there. That was only Jeff's second time. And uh, we went there. The only reason we were going there to start was that uh, Ford, we were testing the or we were debuting the Cobra Jet 1400 for Ford. And because of that, 
we were going to bring our entire our, our gas operation back there as well. I was the, the JEGS all-star rep and we could go from the Acton doubleheader to then that race. So, I mean, logistically it made sense too. And um, I mean, so really it was Ford and NHRA show of what they wanted to do and they wanted to have Tony Pedregon in a gas car and they wanted to have Bob Tasca in the electric car. Well, Tony Pedregon had never driven the car. And so they wanted to get some passes on him and we can't, you can't test on the day before at a national event and nor could nor Tony, Tony Pedregon be coming to Acton, Montana the week before to do some testing. Um, and so they got, they wanted to, it was kind of, I think a, a culmination of a few things. One, it's the shortened U.S. nationals because of COVID was going on. That was like the the height of it. And, uh, and, and two, um, we couldn't get him to test. And so they Instead of they were supposed to not give him a pass until after I think class was over, um, or second round of qualifying because I think they went what you had one Q hit and then you went right into class because that was and that was going to be it, and so instead they bumped Tony Pedregon up before first round of class, and um, admittedly so we blew the tires off of it. We had put a, like a, an aggressive program in the, in the Cobra Jet, and granted we've only had this car for like a handful of races, so it was like learning all about this thing, and we've never even driven up the blown car. And I'm saying we, but it's it's all it's Jeff. And uh, we he blew the tires off it, but he still was going to be in the class final, just technically because it was the top two qualifiers. Um, so then they wanted to they bumped up Tony Pedregon's run to be ahead of out the class first round. And um, why can't I think of who it was? One of the NHRA tech officials, head tech officials, said, "Hey, yeah, we understand that we moved this up." He came and removed the computer from or like the the, the SD card from the car, so we'd have no data. But they just we wanted to make sure that one Ford is paying X ton of money to be out in front of a crowd. We wanted they wanted to make sure that this was going to be a, a nice show. And so the car did like a nice little pooch leave and and went like I don't even know if they showed the scoreboard of the actual run, to be honest, because they didn't want to give us that data. And then they had right after that, we had to go up for class. And actually, the NHRA official in the lane gave us the SD card to go then put in the car. Um, we were just going to run it again without it. So we just we ran the exact same program um, that we would have had Tony not ran it. And Tony Fagnelli seemed to take things that we were cheating and like playing to get like an extra hit, like it was in our control and like NHRA, like led us to do this car blanche kind of thing. And it had really nothing to do with us and more so that Ford and, and them had to put on a show and it was, they paid a lot to be there. And we were just kind of the downstream effect of that. And if he didn't like it, well, in my eyes, you can go pound for a consent. So, um, I, he came and had some choice words and I appreciate his thoughts. Um, but at this point, it is what it is. And I think the people that do meet us and enjoy us seem to think that we're good people and we we're not trying to do anything shady on it. And if he doesn't like it, I think he can. We have a class trophy and he doesn't, I guess, at the end of the day. He could have had a better light and won the round. So, Well, and I could see from one side, I mean, when you're obviously, you know, if the roles were flipped, not knowing all the information, not seeing it. Yeah, I could, I could understand there'd be a little... Oh yeah, a, a little 100%. concern, but you know it's nice to at least hear the other side of the story and what you know NHRA at the end of the day we're going to do what they tell us to do. Like, no, that's not how this is going to work. Like, you don't really get an option, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's again, it's a culmination of like the calamity of errors. Had it been like a normal, a no, a normal U.S. Nationals, or even if we got two qualifying passes, there would have been no big deal. Um, and granted. Yes, I 100% appreciate what you're saying, but when you try to explain that to someone and they still kind of 
say the things that they say and and uh you don't have much appreciation for his thoughts at that point so i'll just leave it at that oh uh so is patrick McHugh still helping you guys like is he still in or he was pretty tied into you guys isn't he with the electric yep yeah absolutely so going back to the story of, of hancock and lane and how it got started uh my dad and uh one of his best friends growing up was peter McHugh, so patrick's older brother and uh they were involved with racing or Peter was involved with us his basically his entire life too. Um, and he's an auto shop teacher in, in Bellevue, which is in, in the surrounding Seattle area. And then Patrick McHugh is also his uh, Peter's younger brother. Um, he's been around us his entire life too. Um, or we've, our, our lives have been combined, I should say. And he's also an auto shop teacher there in Bellevue. And so uh, a few years ago, he got this grant to, he had built a couple electric cars with um, the high school. Um, they built like an electric BMW and then they got a grant to build an electric race car and potentially race it. And so they, uh, Pat knowing, obviously, um, having the affinity of us brought in my dad to kind of help with some of the chassis stuff. And they had built, uh, it was a, a firebird, like a tube chassis firebird they started with. And Patrick is incredibly smart. And, um, they, he was kind of in charge of all of the technology and, and incorporating all of it and the engineering side of it and and they actually went and raced uh i mean it was a high school they would bring high school kids to the the division six divisionals and they'd have headsets on they act i mean they were like little crew chiefs i'm not, I'm not saying little like as if they're small but more just like they were they're young kids out there um experiencing racing and they got to do it with an electric car and um, he did a rate great he actually won a couple rounds and so that's kind of how it started and then shortly after that, we uh, they went to PRI, Jeff and Pat, and kind of pitched an idea of building a, a, an electric purpose-built race car. And that's where the, uh, in General Motors kind of bought into that. And that's where the eCopo started. And basically ever since then, my dad and, and, and Pat have been, um, which they have formed a MLE race cars. So uh, McKeel Lane electric race cars. And it's kind of snowballed from there. So were they, did they build the Ford, uh, what do they call it? The illuminator, the F 100. Yes. Uh, so, so they built, uh, so it went from the Ecopo and then we did the Cobra jet 1400, which is still out there. And you might see it run once or twice this year, but more than likely not at the end of the year, maybe. Um, and then last year, I mean, it was, I think we built, we built it in 72 days. It went from, this is an idea hey uh sema's coming up and then we're like hey we need we had we had originally had one car chosen and then ford wanted to go this route and uh we had to go down to, to denver and get it and it had to be kind of sema show quality and then take a couple mockies and incorporate it into that and honestly i got to uh sit in it and it it is phenomenally cool i mean if you had all the money in the world i would definitely have one and i'm, I'm not saying everybody needs or has to love electric cars but just to sit into like a 1978 f100 and it to, and then to open the door and it to be like a brand new car it was it was pretty cool yeah i get uh electric vehicles aren't real well received on our in our program but it's pretty neat to just see what the potential is and and whether you like them or not i mean i can't you can't deny the technology and some of the innovation that goes into there and that's that's what's neat you know we got to realize it's not just about us it's you know, future people coming that, you know, there's kids out there that think Teslas are the coolest thing ever. And that's, you know, the next step, I guess, to help bring more people in. 
Absolutely. I mean, I, I know you guys had Geoff Turk on or Jeff Turk on, and I think he's got a big hand on the Holly EV side of things. Um, and he's a super smart man himself. And I've never really actually met him, but I just, there's a lot of smart people pushing EV. Um, I will sit here and say like, I have, we have three, uh, two carbureted cars and a fuel injected car. And by no means do I ever want them to be intermingled or, or removed. But I also kind of going back, like I have two kids that are under two years old and, and these two boys will probably never see a car that built in their lifetime or by the time they're of driving age that is fuel injected and for sure doesn't have a carburetor on it. So what is that technology and what, when, where can you race it? And if, if we all take a step back, cause I mean, obviously we love class racing. We love the innovation of comp eliminator. We love the path that NHRA has kind of paved, but the idea and the premise is that it was supposed to be a safe place to race. Well, now if you have hundreds of thousands of Teslas and electric cars out there on the road, people are going to want to push them and where, where is that safe place to race and, and how can they do it under a safening body? So it would be prudent of NHRA to, in my eyes, at least create a separate class, never intermingle them. Cause to me, that's where you get like that blurred line. Um, but give them, give people a safe place where they can tune on their electric car and, and do so safely and, and a chance to compete. Cause I think that's what we all want to do at the end of the day. Yep. Yeah, it's uh maybe they'll just all go to camp. Yeah. yeah, I mean, who knows? They're, they're, they keep adding classes, so I'm sure there'll be an electric dragster here soon that'll be out there and kicking our butts. What uh, You had a pretty good year in the comp last year. Let's talk about that a little bit. Yes, so um, it started with uh, Roger Brogdon putting out this big $50,000 uh, sportsman bonus fund program and just kind of getting some horsepower there. And I, I was looking at the schedule, and I'm like, you know, it's not so bad. And then uh, we found out we were expecting to have another child in August. And I was like, man, that really kills. Uh, I wasn't like, we didn't plan specifically. I, I, if Jess is going to watch this, I, I can't say we didn't plan our race schedule basically around our son being born, but it was like, well, if there's potential that I might not be able to do X, Y, and Z races, why not just go chase division four and get all your racing kind of up front? Whereas I think division six, because of the pandemic, um or COVID or whatever it had a lot of races between like august and september so i was like well i really wouldn't be able to hit those anyways and so we said you know what? let's do it let's go let's go try something different let's go chase this uh 50 000. and it ended up being a fantastic year i have to say um it was incredibly refreshing just uh, racing against opponents you've either never seen or met but you've just seen their cars like a national dragster and and just all good people. I think everybody I met, I mean, the Hudson family was incredibly accommodating and they're so, I mean, they'd have you over for food and just great people to talk to. Ashton's an amazing man and his car is pretty badass. Um, but just, I guess to get back to it is you got to go race in a country you never, or in part of the country you've never really raced in, at least I hadn't in my career. And it was just a lot of fun. Uh, whether you, luckily we had some success and we, and we ended up taking home the big prize, but it was, even if we hadn't, I would have stepped back and said, like, this was just a good time. Uh, you got to race against some of the best racers in the country. And unfortunately, we came out on top. Yeah, that was a, it was just a pretty awesome program. And like I said, it's, it's probably fun to travel and just do something a little different, a little different environment and tracks you're not normally running at. Oh, absolutely. I'd, I'd never been to Oklahoma. Um, not saying I'll ever potentially go back, but we were, we were actually supposed to go to Noble. Um, here this weekend, but we uh, hurt. I hurt my motor in the final of Phoenix, the doubleheader. So 
I kind of exnade those planes and kind of like what you were talking about are our, our, the motor that I was supposed to start the year with uh, still waiting on pistons and rods ourselves. So um, and that's been since Thanksgiving. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, and, and to be honest, if uh, all, if all things were the same, I'd love to go. I mean, now it's a hundred thousand dollars this year and even more money for everybody in the position. And, and it's a pretty awesome program that Roger got other people to step up and, and support it. Um, it's just that we're getting married in May. So that kills like it's the same weekend as the Dallas doubleheader. And uh, and we weren't going to go to Belarus. So it kind of just killed any, ch- any short shot at going back there again. But uh, we were planning on supporting it regardless and going to the Houston National and Noble um, just because we wanted to go kind of support that program and, 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 and just be out there because we had such a good time. But uh, hurting our motor and uh, in Phoenix kind of killed that. And getting married. And, and getting married. Yes. <laughs> and getting married. Do you, uh, do you guys just do NHRA or have you ever considered going any to the, like Tyler Bohan's race, class race revival, any of that stuff, or are you just pure NHRA purist? Um, and so that's a great question. Um, I love what Tyler's done and everybody I talked to, I mean, I talked to Wyatt Wagner about it. I talked to Mandela's about it and they said it was such a blast. Um, and so we actually talked about, it. I mean, even last year, I think we had kind of put like, could we make it work? But I will say like the challenge, and this is not an excuse, it's more so just like what makes sense is we're logistically like at the top left corner of the United States. And so getting two places is a little bit more challenging or you have to just go a little bit of a greater distance. And and um, taking a backseat to that, I've always had a modified Cavalier. And so I've done a little bit of bracket racing with it, but it just became like the expense to like the what you could go do with it didn't really like the potential outcome for it. It's just... It didn't make a ton of sense, um, but I, I know that uh, Steve Teeter and a few people are trying to do like a Northwest Class Racers Association out here, and I'm fully planning to support that in any way I can. Um, so I'll probably like take my Corvette out to something like that, um, and my dad potentially could take his Copo if he's got the time. But to, to your point about actually like the the bracket races, we were had we had probably one more week we would have probably gone to the, the the race that PMR put on. Yeah, I mean, it looked like an awesome time. The turnout of 61 cars down there at Vegas was, was awesome. And uh, we just, we were going to, we actually just made my, we put a, a different motor in my, my Cavalier so that my dad could race it in Vegas here in, in two weeks in super stock um, while we wait for the engine for, or the, the pieces for the, the comp motors. Uh, it was just, we didn't have enough time to kind of turn everything and get the rig back down to, to Vegas and uh and then tyler's race we would i mean for us we would just have to kind of plan it out so i say what makes sense to go back there so we can hit a couple races and hit that race because i know all the comp guys that went went there i know joey uh joe aerosmith has talked about how fantastic it was and and getting people to support it i mean i think they should i would just it would we would have to make logistic plans to do so because it's a little bit of an adventure that's uh Definitely a little haul. I guess we'll we'll excuse your absence for that. But <laughs> well, I would say mark earmark it within a year or two. We'll try to we'll definitely start supporting some of those. It's not because like we don't want to. It's just uh, you gotta you gotta make plans. I we, I mean we like we wouldn't go back to Texas just to go back to Texas for a race, especially with as you're seeing the, the price of diesel. You got to be a little bit uh um, strategic in what races you hit at this point. Well, and I think too, you know, similar to the the comp side of things, you know, with all the added money, I mean, that's people got to realize, okay, where am I going to go? Like, do I want to go to just divisional races and race for this, or do I want to go where the dollars are? 
you know, it totally made sense to go and chase where the money is because the entry fees, everything else is the same. You might as well go where you can get the most money. Oh, yes, absolutely. And I think I, I just seeing like the, the racers that showed up, I mean, it sounds like it was kind of, I think, eye opening to see like people will kind of chase that, especially. I mean, I, I'm going to revert it back to comp, but you saw for the opportunity to chase 50 grand, we had 43 cars show up to uh, for a 32 car field show up at the Dallas doubleheader. And so people are willing to chase the money. And I was having this conversation because I was actually getting some of the photos like in the background, similar ones, like uh, framed yesterday for the first time. I've kind of been putting it off. And I was talking to the guy and he goes, oh, how much can you win? And I mean, to that point, like you could uh, in the early 2000s, and I'm sure other people can talk about how you could win like 15 grand. I'm, I'm, I think Fletcher's talked about it, how you, you won like 15, 16 grand for all the decals and the contingency. And today you don't even win that. And you maybe we can you'll be lucky to get a little over half of that and so if you can go out and race a, a combo race that pays out 10 grand like or three days of that or potentially 25 grand i mean that's kind of it's kind of a no-brainer in, in that sense well not even in you know my program where it's i guess i don't even really have a program but it's cool to call it that <laughs> like you know we can do the associations like we have a really good midwest class racers is a really awesome association here we've got every race is a double you know the entry fees are reasonable but i mean the payouts are really good and it pays down quite a ways so i mean for me to go to somewhere and try to win 12 1500 bucks you know fuel prices the way they are and just a family and scheduling and trying to chase all that stuff like it really makes sense for me to do the association thing so it's kind of cool to hear that you guys are looking at trying to do something similar over there yes and again i can't take credit for that that's, that's nothing uh, i'm doing it's just more of uh there's a lot of people on this side and i can't list them all because i just got the email i think the other day from steve teeter reaching out um but I, I think they actually hit they said that specifically they're trying to mimic what the or mimic the success of the midwest class racers association because they have heard how well it, it's done and it's reciprocated amongst the racers out there um i think what what you can i mean d3 d4 i think you have a good conglomerate of a lot of good racing there and a lot of good tracks what we fight out here and again, I, I think people, I'm not making excuses because we chase it. I mean, so I, I think other people don't for essentially this reason, but if we have, I think like two tracks or like, let's just say three tracks within like a three or four hour radius, I mean, Spokane's coming back for us, but that's four hours from here. You got Pacific Raceways, you got Mission up in Canada, you can't get into, you got Woodburn, which is three hours south. And so the distance to tracks around here is it can be a lot farther and then you got like Acton, Montana, and then they're, they're trying to bring in some other ones. Like I've always wanted to race at Yakima, which is like three hours from here. Um, but I think we just fight logistically not having as many as racers and as many um, tracks within a nice equidistance for everybody. So hopefully that what you guys all have done can be resonated out here because it would be great to get a, a program that, I think really appreciates the sportsman racer. And I think that's what it comes down to. And, and maybe hopefully you can speak to more of it. Is it, is it more of the, the money side is nice or is it just more of like the camaraderie and the fact that it, it feels like appreciated, uh, people are appreciated more for being there. I think like just from here and where your tracks are located, like it's pretty similar. So I'm, I basically have three, like Brainerd's three and a half hours. Uh, Thunder Valley in Marion, South Dakota is like three hours. You know, I can go to Ottawa, Iowa. That's probably roughly three and a half hours. So I've got three of the main tracks we run at are three and a half hours away. Well, if I want to go to Kansas, you know, to any of the farther tracks, I mean, six, seven hours. Well, 
you know, if I can race 10 weekends, everyone's a double and drive within six hours. Like that's just logistically that works really good for me. Um, and the fact they're all doubles, I mean, for just starting and kind of cutting my teeth on this deal, it's kind of nice to go. I mean, we've got, you know, some pretty good hitters at every track. I mean, you got Jason DeForest, Mike Mayans, Doug Engels. I mean, just there's Knutson is always in the mix, you know, Jamie Peach. Like there's some good drivers that we're racing against and it's, it's a good atmosphere. Uh, the racing's close. And I think what that's doing is it's actually building more stock super stock racers. Like is a younger guy, you know, maybe the budgets are limited with family. Like I can have a car go race five or 10 weekends a year within six hours of my house like that's pretty cool what's happening is people are getting started that way and then three years down the road all of a sudden now they're going to go to vegas or now they're going to start you know racing more divisionals more national events it's almost like it's it's hatching up the future of the nhra like people start in the association and then they're moving on and doing more of the nhra stuff too so um good friend of mine billy gibbs out there like it sounds like your guys's tracks with the whole pandemic i mean it was like shut down it's like why are we even racing there's no place to go so to have more tracks there and have that association, I think what you're going to find, like I know in our association right now, there's probably at least four cars getting built for this year. People that haven't raced stock super stock before. Awesome. So having a place to go where it doesn't, you know, you don't have to drive 10 hours or maybe spend as much. And there's pretty good, you know, there's a way better return. You know, it was two years ago. I never won a race. I went to the final twice, but you know, I won almost $14,000 and that's my second year ever doing it. Like, wow. How do you argue that? Like, no, absolutely. We're not doing it for the money, but at least if you can, you know, gives you money to put back in the program, it makes it worth doing. Oh, absolutely. Well, first off, we have to give Billy a hard time because uh, I think he bought his old car back, and he I still haven't seen him out of, at the track the last year and a half. So if he if he watches, uh, Billy, where the hell you been? Get that thing out here. He's actually got a uh, he's got a really fast stalker and a super stalker now, and he just sits at home and polishes them like. I want to have Billy's problems. Um, no, I, I mean, Division Five's got phenomenal racers. Like, I think they continue to kick our butts whenever they come up to Montana. And you got Justin Jenkins out there, Tyler Wodarski. And so, yeah, I, I can hear what you're saying. Like, especially if if they're, if you can get a bunch of racing in and you don't have to go more than four or five hours, uh, it absolutely makes sense. And I, I think that's great to hear that a lot of, I'm going to say grassroots, but I mean, what I mean is more people coming from, um, wanting to get involved, starting like with the stock limiter car. How do I get, where can I go racing? How can I get it to mimic the rules of what's out there? And, oh, look, I can actually go race an HRA eventually too. Um, if I wanted, um, I think that's great. And I think that's what an HRA kind of missed the buck on when it came to invigorating new people wanting to get involved. And so it's awesome if associations can kind of help do some of that. And then if that brings people into the NHRA fold, that's awesome. And if not, then I mean, I think there's still great places to race, so that's that's good to hear. Well, and that's as a sport, we need to give more people options, right? Like, there's, there's, I don't know if I want to call it weekend warriors or not, but I mean, there's guys out there that are, you know, spending the time building their cars, building the motors, building the transmissions, doing all that themselves. I mean, they don't have sponsors, they don't have a lot of money, so to give them an outlet to go, you know, like our association, what is it? It's a, I think it's a hundred dollar entry fee at most of the races, and if you win, if you make it to the second round, you get a hundred bucks. So, I mean, literally, you got to be one guy, you get your entry fee back, which, like I say, we're not doing it for the money, but, you know, you start making it to the, the quarters of the semis, and you're talking six, eight hundred bucks. Like, that. that's pretty cool. Absolutely. And, I mean, you talk about it just it, it's a return on investment is maybe it, it covers some of your expenses for the weekend, if not all of them. But at what, what sports, 
what fun can you do? I mean, think about golf. I mean, you're never going to get your money back unless you're a, a, re a really like an ace out there and a scratch golfer winning some tournaments, you know? And so granted racing is much more expensive and it's a, a different passion, but not many sports that you can go participate in as an adult, unless you're a professional, do you ever really get a return on investment and in to have uh, associations where if, I mean, man, if, if you could, if you could, if you could win a hundred bucks and you win your entry fee back, I mean, that's, I mean, car launch, that's awesome. Especially if you can go some rounds and it covers like your fuel to get there and then anything else just back in the coffer to invest in the car. I mean, that's, I think that's how it's supposed to be. And that's how you get people excited to want to build a car because they can see the fact that if I even just, if I can get better as a racer and I can go rounds, it makes it worth my time from a money perspective to do something like this. Well, and I even look back like with fuel prices the way they are and stuff like, if you can go one weekend and get two races in, right? Like it's not one race for three, four days. Like you can literally go show up Friday, race Saturday is one race, race Sunday, that's another race. Like, I mean, bang for the buck investment wise, like it's kind of a no brainer. And see, that's where you're going to start seeing some more of those electric cars come out is uh, these fuel prices are really hitting us all that don't have one. I am, I do not have one. So you're just trying to get us all kinds of hate mail coming now, aren't you? I'm sure you'll get it anyways, just because I'm on. So who knows? All the haters out there. <laughs> I was gonna say everybody hates success, but that'll just make more hate mail come. So that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but that'll be cool to get the association. So then, uh, Billy Gibbs, you can get off your butt, quit polishing. You know, like Billy needs a paint sponsor because I think all he does is polish his cars. He never drives them, so he's gonna have the paint wore off on that GTO that never makes it out. I know. I think he's trying to sell it too. And I, I'm pretty sure Hildago is the only one, the other one that has one in the country. And I mean, Hildago is, I think that name speaks for itself. They're themselves, they're phenomenal drivers. And, uh, and the fact that uh, he's always badass fast, I think it says it's, it's probably a good combo and not to take anything away from them. I, I know that he's super smart. Um, but if there's only one or two of you that, that own it, you should probably keep that dude and at least get it out there and try it with it. I, I know, I think he's, there was some, uh, fuel mapping stuff i think that they were they were fighting um but i'd rather fight it at the racetrack than fight it in the garage yeah i think retirement's been hard on him he's just getting a little lazy you know doesn't want to get up that early and well that's where that's how our friendship kind of started is uh he used to work at boeing and i think he came by our pits and then we bs'd about how i worked at boeing and uh and yeah i know he retired recently and i think he or a handful of years ago and he did really well so i mean if anything he should keep adding more to the stable and just keep on coming out he doesn't even have to work. You know, it's not like he has to work tomorrow. So, like, <laughs> come on, Billy. Oh, this is fun. He's going to give me a call. Yeah, as, yeah, as he should. But how did, uh, you, talking about controversy, I mean, that's, uh, do you think, what are, what are some rules you'd like to see changed in any tree? Oh, man. Um, uh, I think, what NHRA is missing right now is tech. I, and I, I don't mean to belittle the, the tech officials involved, but um, I think you go to Division Four and you just see they have a phenomenal tech director. Uh, I mean, they're picking apart motors. They're pumping everybody. I mean, we got torn down. Um, I mean, and it's, that's all awesome stuff. I just think if, if I could, it's not even really a rule change. It's more just enforcement of the rules. Let's just get back to the fact that there's a rule book here and let's uh, check more of it. I, I enjoyed at Pomona, they're spot checking like uh, safety equipment, like that. That's great, but uh, I think they need to start. Let's look at um, 
um, ignition systems, or let's look at uh, people's computers on boards. I mean, like they used to do that in Division Six. It was it was kind of nice the fact that it kept people honest. And, and I'm not saying anybody's cheating, but it's just it's just nice to know that things are being checked. Um, and so th- I think that's one thing I'd just like to get back to. And I think that kind of just founds goes back to more of the roots of racing. It's like it's nice to know that you and your competitors are all legal and techs enforcing the rules out there. Um, from like a rule standpoint. Uh, you're talking to someone that's not a big true start guy. I'm always, I used to do always chasing. So that's kind of the one advantage of it. And I think having being chased, uh, clean tree is a huge advantage, a huge advantage in my eyes. And so I'm not a true start guy. Granted, I don't do a ton of bracket racing, so I'm sure that you'll get some pushback there on that one. Um, I don't know. I think the biggest thing that any tree needs to focus on is maybe getting less classes and, and, it's not even a rule, but it would be nice to see some of the quotas be bumped up because you have people that want to support your national events, but you got like 15 classes that are there. And to me, that's just a little absurd. And why don't we get back to more of the roots of racing? And granted, I mean, that's to me is class racing, um, not to, to belittle any other classes out there. I just think that that's the foundation of drag racing. So why don't we put that a little bit more on a pedestal and, and allow the people that want to come out there and support Vegas? I mean, it'd be awesome to see 90 cars back at Vegas. You can't tell me that. That extra 30 minutes it takes um, is really that prudent on the schedule. So um, I'd, I'd say that's kind of a start, at least for me. Well, even as far as uh, letting more cars and like let 90 in and qualify 70 or 80, they won't at least give them the chance to qualify and run for it. I mean, you're also going to put a little more performance back into it. Like guys are going to work on their stuff if they think, hey, if I can get qualified, I can make it. So let 90 enter, let 80 enter, take the top 70. Oh, absolutely. Sorry, computer popped something up. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's where uh, people want the performance side of it because it makes you appreciate the fact that I I just got in on the 64 car field. And I mean, the best 64 got into the 90 car field. I mean, I think that makes you go come home and work on your stuff. And if if you are on the on the lower end and if not, um, it also keeps it to that uh, six round race that I think NHRA is pushing for. So um, yeah, no, I see only good things there. And all that does is add more money back into the coffer for whether that be the purse or NHRA's purse. So I, I, I don't see any downfalls with that. And I'm, I'm all for that. What are some ideas you have to get more people into stock super stock racing? Ooh, man. So I have to give myself a break. It's seven in the morning. Little one didn't sleep last night, but, uh, um, I, I think it comes down to things that, that you've said, uh, I, what I don't enjoy is how I'm going to try to probably spin this so that I can say it'll help people. But four-day national events, to me, um, if national events are what people want to go race at, and let's say you have to have grade points to go do so, and it's really challenging if you have to try, let's say Gainesville, it takes eight grade points to get in there, and you'd be lucky if you, if you didn't hit the right, if you didn't get, get it right timing-wise to even get in. Um, you're not helping the people that have seen it and want to go to it by, by the quota system. Um, so I think that makes it a challenge. But at the same time, I, I think that uh, the, the new people that don't want to go to divisionals probably maybe shouldn't go to nationals because I think that that also is, um, why should you go race for the big trophy if you're not kind of also supporting the class? I think, I, I don't know how to, you can't get the expense out of it in today's world. I mean, everything's just expensive. But if you could make it so that it's worth people's time, whether that be double headers, and not not everybody's a fan of them, but if you can make it logistically make sense, um, maybe get rid of three day weekends where it's like two days, 
So you have, I, I loved what division one has done or even division four, where you have like one qualifying pass on Friday evening, and then you have two hits on Saturday and potentially first round. And then you have racing on Sunday. So you don't have to show up on Friday if you don't want to. Um, I think that helps people that are maybe on, on a different budget spectrum. Um, I think, I think it comes down to what is your return on investment for going racing? If it's, if it's just fun, then I think people are going to follow and do it. If the classes can support what they want to do, if they have a car that they can go pursue their passion with and they say, Hey, this, this will fit in an HRA niche of class racing. But if they say, Hey, I'm spending $40,000 on a car, $30,000 on a car. And I'm, I'm middle of the pack, which is fine. But I'm, if I win a race, I'm getting like $2,500. I'm getting treated poorly the entire weekend. I mean, we're getting bumped from a schedule standpoint. Um, I think that's where you're not helping people want to get involved because they would say, why, why would I do that if I can just go out to Pacific Raceways Wednesday night, Friday night, Saturday night? And I mean, yeah, it's a long night, or but I'm racing the entire time, you know? And so I look at it as if you go to a national event and you pay, let's say $340 now with the insurance expense and you get two qualifying passes in first round and you lose first round, you paid a hundred and something, $110, $113 to go down the track each time. And you had to sit around a bunch. I mean, is, is that really fun for people? I, I don't know. I mean, that's what I'd, I'd probably push that back onto you. I mean, would you, would you go do that? If you can go to like your Midwest class races association, your entry fees, a hundred bucks, and you probably get, like two or three qualifying hits and a first round and you're racing for money that you get back by second round, you know? Yeah. And I think uh, yeah. La- La- currently with my old motor and stuff, like the worst part for me was like the heads ups, but yet what makes the association good is we still have that. Like, you know, yes, it's a combo race, but there's still heads ups. There's still, I mean, we still have to weigh. I mean, there's a lot of things that they're doing right in that association. So for me to pay, I mean, you don't do it for the money. I want to do more national events and divisionals. It's just with a young family and business, like it's just hard to really dedicate that much time, like to take four days and go camp out for hopefully, you know, two, three runs. And I mean, the expense is, like you said, the same. Um, and that's what I like about our Midwest class racers is to me, there's not a lot of separation. Like granted you're racing stock, super stock cars, which some people don't like combos. You're in a stock and I'm racing super stock. Well, I mean, yeah, I suppose technically you could say it's kind of like bracket racing because you're not racing cars in your own class. But to me, that's what you get better. Like, I like racing fast cars. I like getting chased by fast cars. Um, it just makes it better. But yet there's still a good enough there where there's rules and there's, you know, you still, there's, they have scales. You got to weigh. There's still heads ups. Like, all the the core values of stock, super stock racing is brought into the association. So to me, I don't see a whole lot of difference. Like, the national events with the top fuel and all that stuff, like, I don't really care. I guess I went and watched him. It was neat to see once, but that's not my deal. I want to watch stock super stock cars doing wheelies and battling it out. Absolutely. And I mean, I'm of the same mindset and, uh, yeah, I mean, you watch them. It's, it's fun to watch, I guess. But, uh, if I had to go watch something, I'm going to go watch any sort of class racing complimentary. I mean, that's, that's the fun stuff. You know, those people. And I think you, you kind of hit it on the head of how do you get people involved and, and want to go racing? Like I, I can put myself in, in your shoes now that I, I have a young family. Does it make sense if I have to, let's just say I'm going to, again, use the four day national event. If I have to show up on Wednesday to pit, or you could even pit Thursday morning, but you're going to push it. I have a young family and you even want to bring them out there. Is it fun for them to do so? If I get two hits and then I'm done, then I have first round on Friday and then I could be done. And then I just spent all this time, money and effort to get there. Whereas if they 
when more they got rid of some classes they made it a three-day event they kept it so that it was focused more and, and and maybe it's just putting the sportsmen um the racers on a pedestal a little bit more and and let's make them a little bit more about the show versus trying to build this explosive oh these top fuel cars are amazing and then they are. I don't want to be able to limit the amount of money that that's, those people spend and, and and what they do. It's just that's not where NHRA racing was founded. And so if you want to get people involved that, and that's all they see, it's going to be hard to get a young crowd or young people involved that can feed people into class racing. Whereas if they see this dragster, well, then you're going to go juniors and more than likely you see a lot of people today go to super comp or top dragster racing. And it's not a bad thing. It's just it doesn't help class racing. Yeah, there is a, a more to be able to run in front of the crowd, like Bobby always says, is you know, there's something there, like just the exposure. Like there's a lot of people that know what a top fuel car is, you know, when they're going, that's where they're going, but they don't have, you know, they, I don't think they understand class racing. They don't understand the class. They don't understand the rules. They don't understand how all that, that works. I think better education that way was, is a good thing too. Yeah. And, and, and you got, there's a lot of good announcers that, that help. I mean, Reinhardt, Brian Lonis, they, they do a phenomenal job of explaining Bob Unkerfer. Um, And it's, I think sometimes it's, like the class race, I mean, you try to have someone explain comp limiter. I mean, that's a whole nother ball ball game there. But I think it it is challenging for people to say, well, why does it say SSBS on his car and his shows um, GTIA or and so like I think that's where it can get challenging. But it's just like that continuing education or just that ability to educate your normal fans. And wow, oh my God, Steve Hahn just did this massive wheel stand in his in his big old Hemi Dodge over there. I mean that people see that and they're like, wow, that's pretty cool. And then if they can, if, if they kind of show more of that, I think people will, you know, potentially, I don't know if they're going to go build cars, but it might get them excited about class racing and want to learn more about it. And especially when you see heads up, I mean, that's why Indy's so fun to watch from a fan perspective is you see the best of the best show up there and that heads up racing. I mean, that, that to me is where if you could take someone to say, Hey, this is what it's all about. That's where you do it. Yeah. That's probably what I'm most excited about. If my pistons and rods will ever show up, I got uh Lance Lyon building me a motor, so it'll be fun to actually go out. And I don't want to be just a sitting duck. I want to start. I want to start breaking hearts out there. And unfortunately, we're just waiting, waiting on the eternal parts to show up. You know. Nice, and I think that's where people like. I mean, that'll be awesome, and I'm I'm rooting for you there. I think that's where people, kind of, <laughs> we've all people's own thoughts about COVID or or whatever. But we're starting to see the ramifications of that, at least in the racing world. I mean, yeah, we did, we didn't get to do some racing, but. uh the supply chain issues are now very much a real thing. And the fact that people can't get, I mean, I think everybody's feeling if you had an engine getting done or you were starting to build your own or you hurt one, um, certain parts aren't showing up. And I think we're all feeling that. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you coming on today. Is there anybody you want to thank or got any sponsors you want to shout out to? Oh, uh, absolutely. I mean, first and foremost, I want to thank uh, my family. I mean, my dad, I mean, he's my, my, my mentor. He's like my best friend. Um, I wouldn't be here today without him. Uh, Jerry Hancock, he's a huge fan of your guys' show. I mean, he loved Cal Method's interview, Jerry Emmons' interview. I mean, those are two people that he's uh, either watched grow up in the sense of Jerry and uh, or Cal, who he's raced with his entire career. And so, Jerry, I know you're going to be watching this. So thank you for everything here to, to get me to this point. I mean, my, my family, um, Jessica, my fiance, my two boys, Callahan and Carter, um, my mom and sister, Aubrey and uh, Diana and Aubrey, um, the entire group of Hancock and Lane Racing. I mean, uh, like I said it before, when it comes to adversity, this group just does not stop until the job gets done and gets, um, gets done right. And 
I think people mistake that that these are all a bunch of people that just volunteer their time and love racing and have a passion for it. And um, I, I'll, I'll try to I'll list them all. But you, you got Bill, who comes from Hawaii to all the races. You got our, our local guys and Pat and Pete McHugh, um, Ed Mola, Jason Mola, um, uh, Brian Goosey, Gordy Burrell. Um, let's see, Steve Schwab. I mean, he we call him the cookie. He helps bring our, our, our rig around everywhere. And I'm hoping I didn't forget anybody because I'm just going off the top of my head. But uh, I mean, those are the guys that really make up who and, and what um, our team is. And, and without them, uh, I'm, I'm, this trophy in the background from Pomona wouldn't be here. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on. It was uh, it was fun to dive in and get a better glimpse of who you are. And I appreciate your support and everything you guys are doing. Yeah, absolutely. And hopefully Tony Fagnelli watches this and, and has a thankful and nice appreciation for us, too. <laughs> we're gonna do a heads up rematch Andy. nice oh hell yeah bring it on we'll we'll go borrow that cobra jet again from ford and really show what it's worth all right thank you nice thanks a lot cody <laughs> all right you guys have a good one yeah classracingjay.com also remember uh if you want to help support the show to keep these interviews coming you can go to classracingtoday.com click on the donate button and you choose the value you get out of the show send it back so we can continue these conversations uh, next week, Bobby should be back with us. Uh, and uh, we'll see you all then. Thanks for listening. Uh, remember, you can send it out to your friends as well. Share it around. Get more listeners to the show. We appreciate it. ClassRacingToday.com. Uh, also, get signed up at for the second annual Class Racers Revival. Have a great day. We'll see you next time. See you later. <laughs>